0: This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station.
1: This is Afternoons on Dubai Eye 103.8.
2: Helen with you and I hope you had a very lovely long weekend. We were broadcasting live on UAE National Day from the Museum of the Future. Talking about Dubai, years gone by and what's to come. And what was included in this stunning building with Majid Al-Mansouri, the Deputy Executive Director for Museum of the Future. We were also talking to legendary Isabel Abukul about her life in the region so far as the co-founder of Magrudy's and the CEO and trustee of the Emirates Literature Foundation. Plus, the future of art. What is happening in the metaverse and what is the potential? Joining us now from the Museum of the Future is the Deputy Executive Director, Majid al Good afternoon, sir. How are you and happy UAE National Day.
3: Uh, good afternoon, Helen, and thank you for uh, having me. Um, happy National Day to everybody here in the UAE, especially from the Museum of the Future.
2: So tell me, wh- what would you prefer? Would you go back in time or travel to the future?
3: I mean, um, it's an easy answer because here at the Museum of the Future, we're actually taking people in the future. So um, I will definitely go to the future, um, especially uh, for my great-grandchildren here in the UAE, um, I think we've seen the development that the UAE has had over the last fifty years, and I think um, with with the hopeful kind of future, with the um, with, with the vision that we have, I think definitely the future. So is So you'd like prior. to see
2: just how accurate your incredible displays are here, because you take us fifty years into the future. Can I ask before we start unpicking some of the predictions and the the research that's gone into that? What was the goal of the Museum of the Future. When that idea was first conceptualized, what were you hoping to achieve and communicate?
3: I mean, I think when you look at the future, I mean, the future has always been a topic, you know, historically. I, I mean, everybody, uh, you know, has a has, has an outlook to the future, and I think the medium that the future was uh, presented was completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you had, you know, written, um, you know, with the development of kind of media. Media, you've seen kind of movies and, 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 and series that are coming out, and I think what we're doing is taking it a step further
2: it's so immersive
3: exactly and we're taking people into the future so that they are um, if you will um, characters in a movie That movie is actually based on research it's based on science it's 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 not something that we've imagined something that's actually rooted in, in reality the
2: the aspects of the future that you're addressing here are far ranging from transportation to where and how we live even health and I wondered, for anyone that hasn't been able to visit yet, and you guys are, I think, sold out for the foreseeable future, um, can you explain some of the exhibits, some of the experiences that have really captured guest's imagination? What, what do you feel like people have really connected with since
3: opening? Sure. So um, it, it's good to understand kind of the different elements that the museum offers to the visitors. Um, and what we're doing is kind of focusing on two different kind of time frames. Uh, one, which is... Um, the far future what we're saying kind of 50 years and there we're talking about specific topics that I think are important at this stage and it, it's a moment of question like you know outer space climate change climate change definitely mm-hmm. um, and, and then of course kind of how technology has impacted us right now and we see kind of with, with children with you know it, uh, my niece can't basically eat a meal without having her iPad and Join I think, the club, <laughs> and, and I think that's, that's something that is um, definitely impacting us, and we're mm-hmm. showcasing the, how this will impact us in the future, but also showcasing the solutions. Um, I think it's important that we, although we present the challenges, we also showcase the solutions and how we can help do that.
2: And what you really brought to life are some of the ideas that have been kind of floated now, from you know solutions from nature or solutions from technology. But something that I found so impactful was was that relating to climate change, relating to you know, the, how how many animals are going to be in extinct in fifty years. And I feel like it is only by having those connections and those touch points that you actually do think, okay, we can be making changes now to impact the lives of our children and our great-grandchildren. Um, can I ask then a little bit about robots and AI? Um, because we think about the, the far future, but we also think about the near future, and you've got some fantastic exhibits with some of your partners on transportation, and healthcare, as I said. Um, where, where do you see the most exciting applications for that kind of technology, Richard?
3: Um, I think definitely, um the driver in kind of building the future has always been, you know, technology and science. Historically, you look at it, and I think this will continue. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we've seen in the the, the, the rate um, that this has been developing over the you know the last Daggering. decade, it's staggering, and I think it's exponential. Um, artificial intelligence definitely will play a huge role in the future. Um, I mean, just, just a few days ago, you know, you've seen this kind of introduction of what you call the open AI kind of chatbot. And you, you can literally ask it a question, and it's so accurate, it's kind of scary. It feels like some actual human is writing this, mm-hmm. but it's, it's an actual artificial intelligence. And um, I, I think this would have a huge profound effect on the way we work and the way we live on, on kind of creating new industries that don't actually exist right now. And this is
2: what I find fascinating thinking about my children, your niece, my, even my, my great grandchildren certainly, is they're going to be working in jobs that haven't even been invented yet. And I think what you've done is kind of really made us question things and make us get really excited about it. What about where we live and how we live? Living in space...
3: Um, I think this is a, um, a, a, an actual prototype of that exists in the Museum of the Future. Mm-hmm. You know, we're showca- showcasing the Orbital Space Station Hope, um, which is a, a space station that ultimately will house more than you know, 200,000, 300,000 people. And um, the, the, the focus that we have, I mean, there's kind of two different elements. There's like the space tourism aspect of it, and yes. then there's like the exploration kind of science Element and I think we're focusing on the latter. Mm-hmm. We're focusing on showcasing how space could benefit our lives here on Earth. Um, uh, basically, how um, you know we can collect energy from space and um, uh, you know so that it, it helps us basically um, um, get some sustainable energy um, here on Earth.
2: I want to ask you lastly, what are you personally most excited about when it comes to the future if, if, of the planet? But of course, specifically here in the UAE, which you have brought to life so beautifully at Museum of the Future.
3: Um, I mean, unlike any other areas around the world where, you know, there are kind of different challenges um, and maybe the outlook of the future is not as, you know, as hopeful. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's a very, very exciting time um, to be in this region. It's a very exciting time to be here in Dubai, in the UAE. And I think the future really looks hopeful. I know there are challenges, but these challenges are always met with kind of this Um, continuous you know hope that it's it's a a can-do attitude you know it
2: feels like nothing is impossible and um, thank you for spending some time with us on ua national day really appreciate it majid al-mansouri deputy executive director museum of the future Um, i need to ask you one last question the floating friend that's going around my head Mm -hmm. is it a penguin is it a manatee what is this creature
3: um it's actually a dolphin a dolphin and um, the, the the reason um, that we chose the dolphin is because of um, you know it's it's a species that's found around the the the, um, the waters here in, in, in the UAE.
2: Well, I have to say he or she is a hit every time. People are waving up at it. It is just an absolute pleasure to be here this afternoon at the Museum of the Future. <music> I'm Helen Farmer, and over the course of the next few hours, we're going to be talking about Dubai past. And very much future, and what a more fitting location the Museum of the Future. We're going to be speaking to the Executive Director, uh, finding out some of the predictions you can find within these beautiful walls. And we want to know from you, would you rather go back in time to meet your ancestors? all go forward generations to meet your great great grandchildren let me know and you could be winning tickets to Hans Zimmer this is a question I'm going to be asking all of the guests today and first in the hot seat is the co-founder of Books, Bookstore CEO and trustee of the Emirates Literature Foundation Isabel Abbehale who has spent more than five decades we've just worked out since arriving in the UAE in 1968 Isabel thank you so much for being with us happy UA National Day
0: it is it's just absolutely wonderful um, I was out early this morning in the desert with the family and grandchildren and they were sort of Sliding on boards down the dunes, and it was just a—it just nothing's changed and everything's changed. That's so well said. I woke up in the desert this morning. We went camping, and my kids were sledging on down
2: the desert yes. dunes. And I just thought, and in those moments, as the sun was coming up, and there was about ten hot air balloons going above us, and there was gazelles, and I thought, goodness, how how lucky, how lucky we are. So let's go back in time, 1968. Can I ask? why you came here initially and what you knew about the region before getting on that plane?
0: Okay, so I um, came here because I met my future husband at Cambridge and um, uh, I followed my heart and I came out in December 1968 to meet um, uh, my future family and when I got off the plane and there was sand under my feet and it was a dark starry sky with very little pollution. Mm -hmm. I just felt I'd arrived home. It was the most weird feeling. Um, uh, There was, you know, I was in this magical place and, you know, I am addicted to books and reading and stories and always have been. And I think I just felt I'd arrived in a story, but it was Mm -hmm. a real story. It's very Alice in Wonderland moment. Alice in Arabia. Yes, exactly.
2: (laughs) How fascinating then, because this is obviously when my parents moved here in the 70s and my mum keeping in touch with her family back home in Belfast, you know, it was letters and the occasional phone call. You must have felt very far away from the UK at that point. Had you been able to conceptualise what your future family's home was going to be like, what their day-to-day life was going to be like?
0: Well, I thought I was coming to potentially live in a tent with camels um, outside the door, and I thought, well, that's fabulous, you know, (laughs) what could be more exciting? And in fact, it it wasn't. Uh, um, I... um, uh, we stayed in Murray, which is in Deera, and the sea was very close to the, um, to the house. And um, it was, um, everyone made me so welcome. But the first morning when I woke up, I drew the curtains, I was in the guest room, and um, a little donkey trotted past and and I thought, you know, this definitely, this is a wonderful (laughs) place. This is the place for me. And going going to the gold suit, going to the fish market, going out into the desert, going to deserted beaches. I just felt it was just perfect. I love the food, I love the fresh fish and I love that we shared a big tray of food every day. Um, everything was shared, there was no wastage, it was very sustainable, there were all those sort of those things. And did I know anything about the region before I came? Um, One of my mother's friends had given me a book, Arabian Sands, by the late Wilfred Thesiger, and I had read that, so that gave me a huge insight into the culture, I believe, and thank goodness, because then I did have a little bit of understanding. I spoke very little Arabic and I you know, um, that's changed, <laughs> uh, I had to sort of, um, many of the ladies that used to visit in the afternoon for the ladies medullus, uh, you know, didn't speak English in those days. And so I was sort of immersed in the language and it was, it was marvelous. And also I was treated so kindly and mm. with so much um, sort of um, acceptance. I never felt an outsider. And I think had it been reversed, it would have been very different. Joining us
2: today, we've got Isabel Abuhul joining us, um, sharing how long she's been here in the UAE, just taking us back in time there that beautiful glimpses of starry skies and deserted beaches. (music) Joining us live here from Museum of the Future is Isabel Abuhul. She arrived in the UAE back in 1968 and has been so instrumental in terms of cultural, calendar, society and so honoured to have her here she is the co-founder of Bugoodi's Bookstore which has been celebrating a meaningful birthday recently as well and she is CEO and trustee of the Emirates Literature Foundation as well you've got seven grandchildren and I'm curious when I ask that question to everyone listening today what would you prefer to do? To go back to meet your ancestors or take a trip to the future?
0: Neither (laughs) (laughs) Neither. That's a beautiful answer I live in, in today and I've always done that, I don't hanker after the past, I don't Want to know about tomorrow? Um, I get excited about things, but I wake up in the morning and I want to enjoy the day. So today we were out uh, in the desert early, and the boys were sandboarding down dunes, and it was the same—the same as the past. Although we didn't have the sandboards, the children, not the grandchildren, used to roll down the sand dunes, <laughs> and you can pockets s- of sand. Yes, you can just still find that same beauty, that same peace. I mean, I love the sea. I love the sand and I love, uh, I love the mountains. And we have all mm-hmm, here and we do. have the weather that's so amazing. So for children, it's an incredible place to grow up. So lucky.
2: We are. My, as I mentioned, my parents were expats for a long time, which I think plays a huge role in me feeling so comfortable here because they truly understand the value. They understand what an amazing place it is. And I'd have to have to say... Sorry to any Brits listening. Um, a lot of my friends have stopped asking me when I'm moving back now, especially at the events of the last couple of years. Um, let's, let's talk about... Um, I mean, look at where we are, Isabel, and actually you've got a personal connection to Museum of the Future as well. When you moved here back in 1968, what were some of the ambitions that were being spoken about regarding the UAE? What were some of the early buildings that might even be on the skyline now that uh, are still recognisable?
0: Um, I think the sort of the, the, the landmark when I first came was the uh, clock tower Dira. in Dira. That was the sort of, you, you know, that was the iconic um, structure which the late Sheikh Rashid had um, commissioned. And it was beautiful and it had fountains. And, you know, every time you passed it, it was like passing, I don't know, um, the Eiffel Tower or something. Mm-hmm. It was our, our little thing. There was very little, um, very little in the, in the way of tall buildings. There were a few but not many and most things were low rise and you could look you know you could see a long long way and then when the World Trade Centre was built it was there in the desert on its own there was nothing the first time I went to Abu Dhabi was in 1971 and we drove in convoy across the desert and I mean you could not ever go on your own because there was no roads there was no signs and if you got lost and I mean I'm the sort of person who would have always got lost in no, on a one, no, one lane track no sense of direction whatever and I also remember driving to Sharjah along at low tide along 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 the beach I mean there was very soon one um, single track to go to the northern emirates mm-hmm. um you went with land rovers you went across the, i mean you were adventurers it was um amazing all these early experiences you learned never ever to camp in a wadi i mean people could be washed away you just the sort of the the fury and the suddenness of um the filling up of the wadi beds uh, if it ever rains you know have to be seen to be believed so tell us then a little bit about the cultural
2: side. You're saying you're welcomed so warmly by your husband's family. and yes. Despite speaking you know, very little Arabic initially, how did that go on to develop? Because you've become so rooted in, I think, the UAE's culture as a whole. Well, how was it kind of melding those as, as a family?
0: Um, I think that um, what you have to understand is there are so many... Families living um, in the world and, and in the UAE in particular that are, are from different uh, backgrounds, different cultures. And you have the best of both worlds because you are able to pass on to your children. They, they do become global citizens, but they also have to understand that perhaps they don't fit Exactly in that jigsaw of either side, and they have to come to terms with that. you know that is something that I think, as a parent you have to you have to understand in terms of when you 're a teenager, your identity 's forming, and you mm-hmm. think well i 'm not quite this and i 'm not quite that it 's that question of um, we've just had it with the uh, big sort of blow up in the uk about no where are you really from Goodness. and mm. we had a wonderful poet at the in the desert a couple of years ago carlos andreas uh, gomez who had written this beautiful poem called where are you Re- no where are you really from and it's the most beautiful poem and it talked to so many people because we are We are human beings, we are global citizens, we are all one and the same. We may look different, we may speak different, but it doesn't change who we are and how we connect with each other as human beings. We're going to be talking later in the afternoon about the power of
2: literature and I think what what you're speaking to there is these universal themes of humanity, of love and loss and grief and hope, and we're going to be talking about the power of books. Um, thank you for being with us. You're going to have a little nose around before I let you go and have a have a little a cup of tea. As well tell us a little bit about your connection to museum of the future because it's it's pretty much in the family. Uh,
0: yeah. I have a very very large and I'm very blessed with a very large Emirati family who are the Gumbelhul. So they're all the Belhuls. and Khalfan Juma Belhul is the uh, CEO of the Museum of the Future, or the Museum of the he's, uh, the uh, Dubai Future Foundation, which uh, runs this, and I'm so proud of him. I'm so proud of what he's achieved, and um, uh, you know it's marvellous to see reasonably, relatively young people coming Absolutely. up with these in with their teams with these incredible ideas. I mean, we're sitting here, and we've got Arabic calligraphy etched into the ceiling in the same way you have on the outside of this building. Enough to just come and marvel at that. Forget about everything else that is in this wonderful, wonderful place. Apparently, it's sold out till next February. And I'm not surprised. I'm
2: I'm not either. I'm not either. And I think it's so heartening to have seen things being built up and then being filled up. And, we know, looking around, I, I was in conversation with some of the team last week about, you know, what's the demographic of guests? And they were like, people of all ages from all over the world. And I was like, well, that is just absolutely Dubai all over. Isabel, I'm going to let you go and have a cup of tea. Joining us live here at Museum of the Future is the co-founder of Magrudy's Bookstore, the CEO and trustee of the Emirates Literature Foundation. Isabel Abuhul is with us. And I want to talk retail because Magrudy started back in 1975 and we know and love it as a bookstore and it sells a lot more than that. But what was the original vision for Magrudy's, and can you tell us about that very first shop?
0: Yes so I my husband and I had uh, been involved in co co founding co-founding a not-for-profit school the Itahad private school in 1974 and once that was sort of done um, you know I thought well I'd got sort of a taste for Mm. entrepreneurship. The momentum was there. Yes so having had no I'd been a teacher having had no experience of um, Retail, I sort of plunged in um, and just sort of got on with it with my sort of vision of how I think things should be. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was looking at it always from a custom viewport, customer viewpoint. What, miss, like what was missing? Yes, what was missing? So I wanted educational toys. I had no idea that you couldn't sell children's books alongside that. So the shop was sort of a children's paradise of toys and children's books. And um, it worked. I mean, people loved it because, you know, I chose, I curated it. Mm -hmm. Everything was curated by what I thought um, children should have. And so it had that sort of flavor that sometimes you need. You need just someone. And I am very sort of you know I'm the average 50% put it that way so I sort of had a similar feeling to many others and and I really do believe in quality mm-hmm. quality products for children I, you know battery things may have their place but they were not what what I wanted I, I wanted things that were going to inspire children's imaginations their curiosity make them you know um, interested in the world and toys are a fantastic fantastic tool so that's where it started and then you know customers would come in and said well can we have some mother and baby books can we have some cookbooks where's the fiction and so on so there was the appetite there. yes there was the appetite there and then people wanted and, and god help me on this Haberdashery. They wanted um, uh, all the but haberdashery stuff. You,
2: you became a victim of your own success. You're doing things so well. They thought you were the answer to all of their retail yeah, problems. It, we
0: were in Aladdin's cave, let me tell you. Uh, but I, I, I am left-handed. I'm hopeless. I could sew. I made my children's first dresses and all of that. We had to in those days. You, you know, they had the m- amazing materials here. I'd got a sewing machine so I could cut out and make things. And So I got into this, and it was a nightmare because I hated, <laughs> I hated ordering it. Um, and I made a few mistakes, big mistakes, which I thought, oh, my goodness. And then I found someone who'd got those skills. So that person then looked after that part of it. And that was an early lesson to learn that actually, unless you have a good feel for it, stay out of it. Mm-hmm. Because you're going to make mistakes. It doesn't work. You've got to have an expert.
2: And exactly about working collaboratively. And that shop is there now to, to this day. Magrudy 's more there on Beach Road. Tell us about the growth of that community and hub. What was who were your neighbours back in back in the uh, yeah, late seventies, so, early eighties? Uh,
0: in the it, the original shop in Jamira was just the, one bit of it. It was one quarter of it, and um, so next to us was Spinney Supermarket. Opposite there was the I think there was an animal shop because I can remember a pet shop. My children absolutely loving to go across there and look at the you know the rabbits and guinea pigs and what have you. And um, then there was an next to us. Uh, it, we were surrounded by sand and it was very common to see a camel just wandering eating little bits of shrub particularly in the winter <laughs> I mean, On mean beach road <laughs> on the beach road yeah. <laughs> it was just two-way traffic there was no traffic let me tell you and then there was this open-air cinema which had was not used which now is the jamira center mm-hmm. and then after that there was this tiny little block of shops which had in it peat the meat Trish the fish and the body shop that was it and people say I'll oh, come and you'll make I'm not making it up Pete was a butcher from Manchester and he must have worked in one of the supermarkets and he thought you know I can set and he did he set his own business up and you know everyone used to go there because he was a really good butcher he was also very good at selling I can too. imagine yes, some good yeah. patter and then he opened so then we had to have Trish the fish who <laughs> used to go down to the soup very early in the morning and get all the fish and bring it there for those who were too lazy to go Across, bless you Trish. It was a community that, that, that you know the shops were driven by what the community wanted, mm-hmm. and there was this pop in, pop out. Which I still think, um, particularly after COVID, we've sort of almost gone back to that. So, the model of Magrudy's now we're on 15 shops and we've got another two planned across the Emirates. Wow. So, but we go for community shops because that's where we fit. We're not, we've done the very big shops and. Um, they are very expensive and you, you you have so much sort of space to fill. You don't get that pop-in customer mm-hmm. in the same way. So mm-hmm. we've, we've sort of refined what we do and have come back to community spaces and dotting ourselves about. So it's easy for you to get to us. There, there is, uh, you know, we have a website. You can get things delivered to you. We've got all of that. So we're trying to, and I think that's the reason why McRoody's is still here 47 years later, because... Um, It's evolved in terms of what customers now need.
2: But it's also retained the values of what customers still need, which is that sense of community and connection and recommendation, which, you know, as you know better than anybody when it comes to sharing book recommendations. (music) Now in conversation with the CEO and trustee of the Emirates Literature Foundation. Isabel Abuhul. I don't even know where to start with Emirates <laughs> Literature Foundation, Isabel, because I've got so many kind of professional experiences of being there and broadcasting and interviewing people, but also so many personal memories of seeing people that I have read and loved for so long coming to the UAE, and I guess I just want to say a, a personal thank you f- for that.
0: So, so kind, so kind, Helen. Um, it is um, an absolute joy. When we stand there, the team, we stand there and we look at the thousands and thousands of people coming through the doors, particularly families, Mm -hmm. particularly children, who are, you know, they're so excited to get their books signed by one of the authors. And so many children start their reading journey where they start to really understand about reading and writing and think well I could be I could be that person absolutely right
2: absolutely we had that exact same experience a couple of years ago where my daughter saw Tony Ross the author and illustrator
0: the little princess I love Tony as well as an illustrator he writes the most wonderful children's books that are uplifting that are funny that resonate with any child anywhere in the world and she's got
2: this book and she's probably outgrown it now she's nearly eight but she looks at it and she's like I met him He drew that dog for me, and it was that moment of connection and realisation that there are people who write those books that really, really bring it to life and inspire a whole new generation of readers, which surely must be what it's all about.
0: Yes, yes, it is about helping as many, that's our vision for the foundation, to help as many people as possible, Mm. particularly young ones, fall in love with books and reading. Because I was blessed that I grew up a long time ago, My parents were avid readers. We were lucky that we had books at home. Books were present. I was read to every single day. I learned to read early because I just loved it. And it has set the course of my life. You become, as a reader, you become a lifelong learner. Mm -hmm. So I was hearing one of the ads about cows. So we had a whole... (laughs) Heard Frisian yeah. Frisian cows we used to keep on our farm in Coenige, and um, I had to I, I got the hand the handmaidens book of how to make butter and yogurt oh, and things like can, that.
2: Can we see an Isabel's branded <laughs> butter in Spinney's one day soon? Um, Is that and, what's next? <laughs> uh,
0: this was years ago, and then I had this Australian farmer's book about how you deal with um, uh, disease in cows because there wasn't that many vets in those. I'm certainly here. no Google. Oh my goodness! So I was trying to diagnose what these animals have got wrong with them we had cows we had goats we had sheep you name it and it was just imagine for our children growing up with all these animals collecting the eggs things like that it's this place is magical and it's always been magical Mm -hmm. there are so many opportunities and that's still the same today as it was all those years ago it's a place of opportunities it's a place where people will turn around any time I ever I used to drive there were no roads so I was always I had a little um, uh, Volkswagen Beetle yellow it was called Susanna I think (laughs) anyway I can remember driving this and always getting it stuck because as well as having no sense of direction I'm a pretty awful driver (laughs) immediately people would arrive and they would just lift the car up put me back with a smile this is
2: what happens now in the desert next thing you know you'll be stuck and over the dunes some guys will come and it's just a a few moments of thanks And yes. everyone goes yeah, on their, on that their way. That happened to
0: us the last time we got stuck in a really massive thing. These gentlemen from Saudi Arabia, you know, it just happens. You're in the middle of nowhere, and they come over. Oh dear, what have you done? You know, and they ten get seconds you out. later, yeah, they get you out. And I love that.
2: Before I let you get on, get back to the family this National Day, um, let's just very t- quickly talk about the lineup for the upcoming Emirates Literature Fight. It is, and I'm not just saying it's because you're here. It's my favourite lineup yet. It I is. Sat it is, and I've spent. A lot of my, uh, a lot of my money <laughs> on um, on tickets because I'm going to, I think ten
0: different talks, and this is me trying to balance that calendar. Yes. Who are you looking forward to in particular? I'm looking forward to so many out of the 260, Gosh. and I mean, I, I want to see Bonnie Garmus, Lessons <gasps> in Chemistry, one of my favourite books I, of last year. I want, I want to see Jeffrey Archer because you know. Actually, sitting and listening to someone who's sold 125 million books and is a consummate storyteller, you come away—it's uh, like it's like going to a special one-man performance, you know. And uh, we've got a special screening of the coronation from Anthony Geffen. He. Did the Platinum Jubilee uh, film of the late Queen mm. Elizabeth II, and there is behind-the-scenes footage and the time he spent with her. How so we're amazing. screening that, and he will talk about, uh, you know, what happened. So He's these an amazing are
2: amazing. These
0: are one-off. You miss it, you've missed it. You know, it's once-in-a-lifetime things. The desert is our opening opening piece this year, so we will be out in the desert at night time with our starry sky. Starry sky. Especially put on for you. Thank you. Dunes, <laughs> camels, you name it. And we will have a, a, an unmissable moment in time. All the authors come out there. We sit on cushions in the sand. There's an amazing Emirati buffet. This, for me, it's the one thing anyone who has ever been. It's not about loving poetry, it is about the experience mm-hmm. and it's fine for teenage children I mean seriously some of my friends have brought you know grandchildren among things like that, and they said they've never got over it they have never got over it in the way that they suddenly look at poetry these are some of the best performance poets in the world and other little bits and pieces we've added into it magic I can't wait
2: the countdown is on you are one of the busiest women in the UA and I cannot thank you enough for your time this afternoon for looking back on those uh incredible beginnings back in 1968 but as you say i can tell by the look in your eye there's a lot to come in uh, isabel's future here in the ua you're not going anywhere and i'm very very glad about that isabel thank you so so much happy UAE national day
0: thank you helen for having me it's been an absolute pleasure to be with a like-minded book Uh, maniac i'll see you i'll see you at bonnie (laughs) (laughs)
2: We are broadcasting live from Museum of the Future, where they have really brought the Dubai future to life. Looking ahead to 2071, everything from the animals that are going to be in existence to the skyline, transportation, and of course, culture too. We're in conversation now with Anna Seaman, all about NFTs, the metaverse. She's the founder of the Morrow Collective and has collaborated with Abu Dhabi Art for the Art Plus Tech Initiative, which... Involved students on these topics, bringing them together to create their own NFTs, so we're going to have a little a little walk into the future now with Anna but Anna, before we start talking about what's to come, let's talk about what's happening now and I know you get asked this all the time and I'm confident I've asked you this before myself, but in the simplest of terms, what is the metaverse and what is currently happening in it?
1: Hi, good afternoon, just first to say that um, thanks for having me on so in the simplest terms it, metaverse is really not one thing. It I kind of like to describe it as another world. I mean, the word meta comes from the Greek meaning after or beyond, and the verse comes from universe. It's it's like an, another world that exists kind of around us. One way of describing it is a shared virtual persistent digital environment, which meetings and games and all social stuff can happen in. It's difficult to describe basically, but that's essentially. I try to think of the simplest way to put no, it. For I think you. that makes a lot of sense because. People
2: will go there for different reasons and seasons, and spend different amount of time there, have completely different experiences, much in the way that you know, the, the physical world around us is. And I guess what I kind of really fascinate, find fascinating is, you know, when the internet first came out, no one could have imagined how reliant we'd be on it. You know, everything from you know, socializing, dating, booking—you know—the logistic day-to-day payments, of course. Um, and I'm curious if, if you were to kind of put your know your predictor hat on do you do you foresee this happening with the metaverse is this going to be all consuming in all or almost all areas of
1: our life Anna um I don't think it will take over our lives but I'm certain it's here to stay I mean absolutely as you said we can't imagine life these days without the internet but but many people alive did actually spend half their lives without it so I feel that when something becomes an essential part of life it will become permanent and I don't think we really anyone really knows the full potential of the metaverse and the web three ecosystem that surrounds it because it, it, it's stuff that we don't even know we don't know yet if that makes mm-hmm. sense I think it's so it's so it's vast that I'm sure it will change the way society functions in future years but I don't exactly know how
2: well let's let's talk about the
1: now what is the
2: potential of the metaverse when it comes to creative art and how are you using it at the minute for your platform the the Morrow Collective
1: Yeah, Okay. well, um, right now it gives us access to um, blockchain technology and a Web3 um, ecosystem, which I know these are all kind of new words for everyone, but um, essentially creativity can take on new dimensions in the digital space. Like that's the number one thing. Um, People, you know, we're not restricted by physics or logistics or anything. You can kind of really be creative. What Morrow does, we actually curate fine art in the digital space. So we act as um, guardians of the story, if you like. We, we, do, we work like a physical world curator, might to choose artworks and bundle them together into a collection, which is an experience. But the reason that is, uh, we work in digital art is obviously because of the, the greater network, greater audience, and the, the flexibility, I think, of working with digital art. And, and so, I can I um, ask you then, no. uh, in,
2: in terms of the artists who are leveraging this platform, obviously, you know, as a, as, a, as a business, are you seeing artists that are already very prominent in the the real world um, migrating a lot of their content and ideas to to the metaverse, and/or are there a completely new breed of creatives who solely exist there?
1: Am I allowed to say both? Yes, you can. <laughs> Nothing is yes, binary in the metaverse. I mean, I think the, the what we actually at Moro what we do is we we place ourselves as a bridge between the traditional world and the crypto token NFT world. So we do do quite a lot of work to help traditional artists come in and embrace the space. But at the same time, not you know not all artwork translates into the digital um, arena, and I don't think one replaces the other. I'm definitely an art world person. I came into this t- digital world because of the technology that it offers, but Um, essentially I'm using that technology to still remain why art exists. And Mm -hmm. I think that it will never, this digital space will never completely replace a physical experience in standing in front of a piece of art. I do think they are separate
2: and 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 should stay
1: separate.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And and what about the types of
1: people that are consuming and buying the art? Is this a new breed of collectors as well? Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. At the moment, I mean, there is obviously more and more crossover, but the people that came from the metaverse world, they come from this kind of, like a gaming infrastructure, they have no problem buying digital assets. In, they understand how something can be intangible yet still have value. But the traditional art collector is much more um, trying to wrap their head around why they would buy a JPEG, essentially. That's a question we get asked all the time. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> yeah, there's quite a gap still, but there are there is more and more crossover as it becomes more mainstream.
2: And, and lastly, Anna, um, I just wanted to ask you in terms of some of the big names we should... Uh, be looking out for when it comes to digital art and some of the I guess the the stars of the future if not already today are there any of favorites that you think are, are well worth a google and, and maybe a little a little purchase
1: too well we had an exhibition funny enough probably not far from where you're standing at the museum of the future last uh, two weeks ago now and we had a collection of nine UAE based creative artists working in the digital and the physical space so that exhibition was called Rhizomatic. I think you could probably find information about it online. But I, I think the the one thing I would say um, is that the great thing about the metaverse is that it is a sort of leveller. Everyone is, it's a new world for everyone. So even the names that you may not know, maybe names that we know in the future, there's different opportunities. The network is different. You have more direct contact with collectors. So it's much more sort of... Um, Communal and decentralized, which is a really key reason that Web3 and Metaverse is taking over our lives because it's not controlled by one but controlled kind of by the masses, ideally anyway.
2: And I, I guess I just want to ask you um, a little bit about the future. You know, if there are any young artists listening today who want to be pursuing this as part of a career, any, any advice to them for best leveraging their talents and I guess working as entrepreneurs in, in the Metaverse when it comes to their art?
1: Yeah. Look I think artists are always kind of at the at the vanguard they're always at the front they sort of come up with new ideas and they sort of put their creativity on the line and I think that there's so much potential in the metaverse for people to discover even ways that um you know that you don't even know yet as I said at the beginning but my advice always to a young artist is never try too hard to do something that just because you think it's cool definitely look at digital the digital space the technology that that animation sound um and all that can bring to your art um but also always stick to your real true creativity because as i said there's definitely room for both um physical traditional and digital you know metaphysical, if you like there's definitely room for both and should stay the same so
2: follow your part and for the collectors the same the same advice as we often hear when it comes to buying art buy what you love is that is that ringing true in the metaverse
1: It's a cliche, but it's, it's, it's always true when mm-hmm. you buy something with the creative asset um, and definitely don't try and buy work that you think is going to make you a millionaire because <laughs> are a lot of headlines to blame for that.
2: Expectation <laughs> is the root of all heartache in all aspects of life, including <laughs> art. And for anyone that does want to find out more about your involvement in, um, in Abu Dhabi's art, Art Plus Tech, or of course find out more about the artists you're working with um, at Tomorrow Collective, what's the best way of getting in touch and finding out more?
1: usually getting in touch as a dm on twitter or instagram because we're, we're always active on those two um social media channels of course our website moro collectivecom has everything so it's probably the best place
2: anna seaman thank you so so much really appreciate your time on ua national day and fascinating and it'd be great to catch up in the future about the future and find out exactly how all of this is unfolding <laughs>